back, had a great vacation uh, last week, spent the whole week sitting. <coughs> oh, really, that's what I did. That was my intention. I sat and looked at Lake Huron. Uh, we go to a camp in the UP and it's great. Uh, uh, it's a wonderful place. Had an awesome time with the family. But glad to be back and to continue our sermon on the, our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and we're going to jump right into it. Uh, the general theme of the sermon, if you're unfamiliar with the sermon, or if you're joining us uh, uh, and not having heard the earlier section, we've really been teaching on this for several months. Um, it's Jesus' vision statement for his kingdom. And Matthew begins Jesus' public ministry with the Sermon on the Mount as kind of like the constitution of the kingdom. Jesus is communicating his expectations for those who follow him. So it's a very good, organized um, uh, explanation or teaching on what the kingdom of God is and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be a disciple, uh, this is it. Okay, the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's a concise uh, teaching on that. And we're kind of taking our time looking through each portion of the sermon and going more into depth. Most of my series are only four uh, weeks long, but we're just taking as long as it takes to get through these uh, few chapters. <clears throat> Current section of the sermon that we're in is a summary of Jesus' expectations of His disciples' religious life. And I know I've said in the past that sometimes the word religious is kind of like used as a bad word among evangelical Christians, um, but it's, it's, we're losing a good word. Uh, religious is, is, we are a religion. <laughs> you know, we talk about it's a relationship, not religion. It can't be just a religion, but, uh, you know, we do have religious practices. And another way to express that is our faith-based practices. What we do because we're a Christian. All of those put together comprise what is our religious life. And so Jesus is teaching what the expectations uh, of his disciples are in that area. We've gone over uh, some of the things like uh, going a second mile, loving enemies. These were topics of earlier sermons. Charitable giving. And now we're in the section of, uh, concerning prayer and going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer. How many are familiar with that term? Okay. How many have never heard the term before? How many didn't answer? <laughs> Always correct. Yeah, I know. They still have a third of them. <laughs> How many don't like to raise their hand? <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so it's commonly called uh, the Lord's Prayer, but it'd be more accurate to call it the Disciples' Prayer because it's intended for the disciples. You know, it's what the disciples prayed. Actually, the Lord's Prayer is in John 17, 18. That's uh, oh, a different, different sermon. Uh, although Jesus previously talked about private prayer, this prayer is a corporate prayer, both in the way it's worded. All of the personal pronouns are plural. Okay, and that it was used in public worship services from the earliest days of the church. Some people think that it was used that way even while Jesus was still alive. It's, we have no proof of that. So, uh, we're going to it, use it that way. And so we're going to stand and join with saints from, over, from nearly 2,000 years, actually over 2,000 years, about 2,000 years, uh, countless countries, think of it, languages all over the world, all through time, uh, uh, prayed this prayer together. So would you stand? <coughs> And we're going to say this out loud, kind of like we did the creed. <clears throat> I used to do this every Sunday when I went to Lutheran church as a kid. <laughs> Alright, so we're praying. And we're not just saying these words. When you pray, 
God listens. He hears. Both your heart and your words. So, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Alright, you may be seated. I love that Jesus' prayer was short. The prayer that He taught was short. It didn't take a lot of time. Uh, So, if ever you think you don't have time to pray, you misunderstand what God expects. Other places He did pray all night or for hours. But um, this was a short prayer. Jesus continues and adds in verses 14 and 15, which we're going to cover today as well, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So this is really a model prayer. Uh, And we're going to look at each part of this, each phrase um, or clause or petition of the prayer to gain an understanding of it. And it is a prayer that can be prayed just as is. Um, And I basically have done this since I was an early, early Christian. I doubt there's a day I don't say the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I just, like, that's my default. That's where I start. And it's also a structure of our prayer life. I still use it as the general outline of prayer. If I'm if I'm going to spend a longer time in prayer, I'll use it as an outline. So it can be used in an outline form, uh, each of these being a topic heading, or it can be used just as a prayer in itself. Now listen, I have taught series on the Lord's Prayer. I could easily teach a, a whole series on each one of these phrases. But I believe that Jesus said it as a whole, and so I'm going to try to teach through it as a whole and get through the whole prayer. So there's, I'm just going to skim the surface, uh, skipping a stone along the water of the, of the depths of, a, of, the, of this, of this uh, prayer that Jesus told us. So beginning with our Father in Heaven, Jesus tells His disciples, that's you and I, to talk to God as though you're talking to your Father. He starts out with that. That's the beginning place. And it's so important uh, that we understand that Jesus came. You know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, and no one comes to the Father except through Me. So Jesus, in His own words, is not the destination. He's the way. Right? The destination... You cannot get to the Father except through Jesus. So Jesus takes us to the Father. He takes us into relationship with Jesus Christ. uh, Into relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. And Jesus teaching us that we're to pray, we're to address God as Father. Not to a distant, disconnected, uh, off in the galaxy somewhere, uh, God that doesn't know us, but to our Father. Uh, at the same time, he says, in heaven. So this is kind of interesting. And the one commentator I'm using, uh, wrote a book, his name is France, um, says that the, the address, our Father in heaven, expresses forcibly the tension in the disciples' attitude to God, who is at the same time in heaven, meaning transcendent, all-powerful, the Lord of the universe, so in heaven means He's apart from us, He's transcendent above and beyond, okay, 
yet our Father, meaning He's concerned for the needs of each disciple and entering into an intimate relationship with Him, with them. And so even in this beginning uh, phrase, there's this uh, forcing together of two ideas of an intimate fatherly relationship and yet still relating to a transcendent, all-powerful God who rules and reigns in heaven. Alright? And that's what prayer is. <laughs> Hallowed be your name. Uh, this and the following two clauses echo, I found this interesting, came across this in the research for this sermon, uh, a familiar prayer that was used in the synagogues. Um, uh, the synagogues were the church churches of their day. There were uh, meeting places. There was a synagogue within uh, X number of steps from every uh, cluster of Jewish families so they wouldn't have to walk too far. Wasn't that nice? <laughs> yeah, I know. They had rules about that. <clears throat> it was known as the Kaddish. Kaddish? I don't speak Jewish. Hebrew. I don't know how to pronounce it. But it went like this. Exalted and hallowed be His great name uh, in the world which He created according to His will. May He let His kingdom rule in your lifetime speedily and soon. Uh, every Jewish person knew that prayer. Just as familiar to them uh, as the Lord's Prayer is to, to a, a Christian. Probably more so because they went to, to, uh, to worship at least every Sabbath and usually uh, multiple times throughout the week. And so these words are very, very similar to a prayer uh, that they already prayed. And I think that Jesus, in, in, you know, knowing that helps us kind of understand Jesus' teaching a little bit better. He wasn't reinventing the wheel. He wasn't introducing something that was totally new and uh, uh, unfamiliar. But He was taking something that was familiar and setting it into its proper use, its context, for His disciples. And for me, that helps understand uh, how we are to relate. And, and He just kind of tweaks if you will, something that was already knew, uh, they, they already knew and made it uh, reflective of the kingdom. Uh, things like adding our Father, you know, and starting out with that and the rest of the prayer. <clears throat> uh, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to be holy or to uh, acknowledge the holiness, the reverence, the awe. Um, as, uh, as an outline for prayer, it's... it's um, we should always approach God expressing worship, exalting Him. So this prayer starts out by expressing, hallowed be your name. It's an expression of His glory. You're, you're praising God. Uh, the Bible says in, in Psalms, enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. And that's literally what the Jewish people would do every time they would go to the uh, Sabbath, especially, uh, especially when they went to the temple for the feast. There were a whole songs. If you read through the Psalms and you see the word in the introduction, a song of ascent, uh, which is a Many of the psalms say that right after the psalm, like Psalm 100, a song of ascent. That means these were the songs they would sing as they walked toward the temple, as they were ascending. The temple was built on a hill into the presence of the Lord. And so this, this teaches us that that is the way to approach our Father with thanksgiving, with praise, expressing, uh, hallowing God, honoring God. <clears throat> and we can do this by quoting psalms. It's a great way to begin your uh, prayer by singing a favorite song, maybe like Chris Tomlin. 
I don't know. I don't know Christian worship leaders. That's the only one. And I was, who else is a Jesus culture, right? <laughs> um, what's your favorite Christian uh, worship singer? Shout it out. Peter Webb. Huh? Peter Webb. <laughs> Uh, mother-in-law points right there, let me tell you. Somebody else. I know. Huh? Matt Redman. Jeremy who? Isn't it? Jeremy Camp. Yeah. You know? David. David Huh? David Roos. I liked it. Bon Jovi. <laughs> hey, man. Huh? <laughs> he's great. He's an awesome guy. Love, love him. He's a believer too. But wow! <laughs> uh, praise God for for. Okay, so you can sing those songs. Sing a song. Play it on the on your on your whatever. Uh, or express something uh, of God's glory in your own words. God, you're amazing. Last night I was kind of dealing with some stuff, and I just went out in my back patio, and I was, I was like. You know, it's, it's a beautiful day. God, thank you for this great weather. Thank you for low humidity. You know, and the trees. And I'm like, this is amazing. And so that was entering into prayer. With, that was hallowing His name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 10. <clears throat> this is not meant to be acquiescence to some form of divine fate. Alright? What I mean by that is... is Often, Christians think that this means, well, God, whatever you will, let it be done. Or, whatever you will is going to happen anyway. So, just help me get used to it. Alright? You know, everything's falling apart, but, you know, I guess it's your will. I will submit to it. That is a total and complete misunderstanding of what Jesus was saying. Alright? Um... It's not uh, Christian fatalism. If you don't know what fatalism is, look it up. It is is not biblical. All right. This is intercession. All right. It's prophetic declaration. Yeah, it's yeah. prayer. It's prayer that prayer is meant to change circumstances and change you. All right. And so it's calling into existence God's kingdom and will. It's active, not passive. It's not passive in any way, but declarative, declarative statements. Kingdom come! And actually, in the Greek, uh, as it's recorded, it's, there's two words. Kingdom come! Will be done! Okay? It's a, it's a, it's a declaration. It's a, it's a command. So Jesus is saying, you are empowered to pray this in my name. All right. As you address the Father, God wills be done. All right. Kingdom come uh, on earth can literally mean uh, soil, the dirt, or the region. It can refer to a specific area or the whole planet, and it, and it implies that term in the original language implies the inhabitants of whatever it's intending. So if you're saying kingdom come in Kalamazoo, that means all of the people that live there. If you're saying kingdom come in North America, in the United States, it means all of the people living there. But it also means the dirt. Okay, the soil. God is invested 
in geographic regions. And there's, there's, that's another whole teaching. Um, but this prayer points out the, the fact that he chose those words means that we are to pray, to intercede for uh, these different uh, regions, for all the regions. So <clears throat> when we pray on earth and think of it as the dirt or the region, the area, you know, not, don't think of it as something happening in some far off, disconnected way. When we say this prayer, don't, don't fall into a, uh, a, a, a frame of mind that says, oh, I hope this happens someday somewhere. But rather, it is a prayer to be believed and expected to be fulfilled right now, right here, on the dirt that you're standing on. Does that make sense? Kingdom come here. Now. Will be done here. Now. In Jesus' name. And we, we can address God that way. Why? Because Jesus told us to. Uh, it can refer, and a lot of people teach this uh, as referring to the end time. In other words, Jesus, come back and save us, help us uh, when Jesus returns. And at that time, His kingdom will be openly, His will will be openly displayed when Jesus sets up His kingdom after uh, His second return and the resurrection. But that is a culmination. All right? We're not waiting for that. That is actually the culmination of what we're supposed to be implementing now. Does that make sense? We are to pray. We are to intercede. We are to extend His kingdom until He returns. Once He comes back, He's going to take care of it. Alright, that will be the the end. So heaven, referring to the above, that's a literal... uh, Another way to translate the word heaven is just above. uh, Our Father who is above. Um, it's, It's where the Father is. Jesus just said that. Our Father in heaven. All right. So he's talking about the heavenly realm, or the realm, the, the space, the, the, the dimension, if you will, of where the Father is openly revealed. All right. And it's calling down the Father's presence all right, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth, right here now, as it is in heaven. Okay. Where the Father is. So we're calling down the Father's presence. Is, is God in heaven? Is the Father in heaven? Hello? Do, do you think, if you were in heaven, do you think you'd know that the Father was in heaven? Would you see Him? Would you experience His influence? You sure? Maybe a little bit? Uh-huh. So what we're praying is, in the same way that people in heaven experience the Father, we want to experience the Father right here, on this dirt, right now. Okay, His rule. Who's in charge in heaven? God. The Father, right? So we're praying His rule and His will would come now into our present circumstances and conditions. So whatever the circumstances you're praying about, and this is where we can take it into a specific area. Praying about your job? God, Your will be done. Father, be revealed there just like You are in heaven. Let it be so obvious in your, in, your, in your home, in your family, in your relationship with your spouse or your kids. Lord, let, let your will be done there. Father, come and be present there in that relationship. Uh, what, uh, you know, and if you're praying for the government, if you're praying, praying for... Uh, um, you know, let your will be done, God. Let there be an awareness of your rule and your authority. Let your will be done in that area. If you're praying for other countries or uh, missionaries, that's what we're praying. We're interceding. And so that's how you can use it as an outline by praying those things for different specific things in, in your life, in areas and regions. 
So the next line, give us this day our daily bread. It's interesting, the prayer starts out focused on God and His kingdom and our prayers uh, and our attitude should reflect that priority. In other words, it's God word first. All right, We start out talking about God, proclaiming His holiness, uh, uh, declaring His will and His rule, but then it quickly turns to our needs, our physical and uh, material, uh, tangible needs. Listen, praying for your own needs is not only proper, it is commanded. As a pastor, I cannot tell you how many times people have come to me and actually expressed that they feel guilty when they pray for their own needs. Or I'll say, you need to pray about that. Well, I don't like praying for myself. And I just slap them. I go, bam! (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Did you really believe me I'd do that? (laughs) No, I go like this. Bam! (laughs) I'm just having fun, guys. I was on vacation. (laughs) No, I go, actually... Yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, give, give her, give her this little gnome, the Santa Claus. Santa, Santa got mad. <laughs> All right, I gotta move on. I don't hit them. I tell them. <clears throat> I say it's proper and command. And you're commanded to pray for yourself. All right. Uh, you are your best and most important intercessor. Really. Nobody cares about your life as much as you do. (laughs) So you should pray for yourself and ask for the things that you need on a daily basis. And if you're not doing that, you're you're not following Jesus in the way He's told you to. Jesus said pray for these things every day. Give us our daily bread. That implies this is to be prayed for daily. Alright? Unless you don't want to eat uh, for a few days. (laughs) Uh, It's interesting that Christ teaches us to ask for what we need before He he tells us to ask for forgiveness. Hmm. Isn't that great? I love that. I love that little bit about in, in the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, we haven't said anything about sin yet. Confession comes way down. Yeah. And we glorify God and then we start asking for stuff. Um, so how often though do we start our prayers by pleading forgiveness? Right? Oh God. Oh God, I'm so sorry I did this. Oh God, forgive me. Oh God, I did that. Could it be, could that reveal, uh, we may mistakenly believe that we have to gravel. Gravel. <laughs> gravel. In the gravel. In the gravel. <laughs> Before God will listen to our needs. Alright? If we, if we believe that, that reveals a fundamental misunderstanding of the character of God. Alright? We're talking to our Father. Our Father. We don't have to grovel for God to hear our needs. In fact, He doesn't like that. <laughs> God rebuked me once about that. He told me to quit groveling. Because I was groveling. <clears throat> And then it goes, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, we are to ask for forgiveness, but we don't earn that forgiveness through groveling. You know what I mean by groveling? Oh God, I'm so terrible. I'm a horrible sinner. I'm just, you know, forgive me for this, forgive me for that. We spend 20 minutes you know, or, or half the time praying about our forgiveness. And God's like, would you get to the, you know, the part that I like? You know, when you talk about what you need, and I can meet those needs, when we get closer... Um, I like this. Forgiveness was obtained through Christ's death on the cross. Settled fact. Believing this, that that Christ's death paid for all our sin, transforms us into children. We approach the Father already forgiven. 
when you come to prayer, when you come to the Father, you're already forgiven. Right? It happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. <clears throat> we confess our sins as a means of entering into agreement with Him and declaring that those acts and attitudes are no longer consistent with His character or our renewed character. All right? So it's an act of confession, agreeing with God uh, that that's no longer part of who we are because that's no longer part of who He is. And we, so we ask and we confess our sins and uh, we ask for forgiveness, not to gain forgiveness, but to communicate that we're in agreement with Him. And that puts us in a whole different position uh, in regards to all of the rest of the prayer, doesn't it? Doesn't it change your attitude when you're coming to the Lord? Uh, the word debt is used in Matthew because it was uh, how sin was understood and expressed in the, in the common vernacular, how people talked in Jesus' day. That was the term used. Uh, sin was seen as being indebted to another because you had violated them in some way. So if I violate Bill, then I took something that belonged to him or I mistreated him in some way, I was indebted to him. Um, and so it was asking for that debt the obligation that I owed him to be to be resolved and taken away, and and that's a good way to understand um, how sin works. <clears throat> when we confess our sins in prayer, we can have confidence that God He already knows our sin. All right, God is not. In, when you pray about your sin, you're not informing God of anything. Right? Okay. It's not like, oh, really? Gosh, didn't know that. Uh, 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 he already knows our sin. What he's hearing is that we reject those acts and attitudes uh, from our lives. <clears throat> so it's for our benefit that we are stating <coughs> and, excuse me, and renouncing that those issues are no longer part of our lives and we're coming into agreement with his character and his, uh, <clears throat> his lifestyle. And it goes, as we forgive our debtors. This should be understood as the part of our prayer when we actively forgive anyone and everyone who has sinned against us, real or perceived. Okay, so you should take time, just like you take time to ask for daily needs, to forgive others. Right? Forgive people. Forgive institutions. Forgive whatever. Anything that comes to mind. If you have something that you feel someone has offended you in some way or taken advantage of you, uh, just forgive them. And so you can say, in general, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive everyone that sinned against me. But it's best to do it more precise. Father, forgive my wife. Forgive my children. Forgive my parents. Forgive my boss for doing this today. All, uh, more specific you can do, the better it will be for us. The point, according to France, the commentator, is not so much that forgiving is a prior condition of being forgiven. That's not what he's saying here. In other words, you, you don't get forgiven until you forgive in that sense. But that forgiveness cannot be a one-way process. Alright? It can't be a one-way process. You can't just be forgiven if you don't also forgive. Because that's not how forgiveness works. If you expect forgive, if you expect to, to be forgiven or to experience the benefits of forgiveness while you're harboring bitterness or anger uh, uh, toward others who have wronged you, then you just don't understand forgiveness. You haven't gotten it. You don't know uh, what Jesus is talking about, what God has brought us into. It's a two-way street. We're going to talk a little bit more at the end about that. 
says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is one of the more commonly misunderstood clauses uh, or petitions. James 1, the brother of the Lord Jesus, wrote uh, the book of James, and he said, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So it's very, very clear that God is not actively... And so when you read don't lead us into temptation. Some people think, well, then God must lead us into temptation. But that's, I actually think that they need to, they need to translate this a little better uh, uh, because it doesn't come across well, although there are some good translators, um, uh, translations about this. Um, uh, this clearly doesn't mean that God would ever lead us actively into temptation. Uh, the best way that I think <clears throat> to understand this is to, uh, that we're asking God to direct your life. Alright? Lead us away from all temptation and toward deliverance. Deliverance can be translated freedom. Okay? So it could be stated in this way. This is my paraphrase. Lead me, Father, away from temptation and evil and toward deliverance and freedom. Does that make sense? God leads. So you're interceding. You're asking God to direct your steps for that day, for that week, for that uh, season. And it's also as you pray for others in your life. Lead us. Lead my church. Lead my family. Lead my uh, people that I care for. Um, away from evil. Away from temptation. Away from the influences of the world and Satan. And toward deliverance. Toward freedom. Toward righteousness. Okay, So that's what we're asking. It's prayer. Evil one can be translated as evil in general or specifically referring to the demonic. Referring to the devil or referring to demons. It, it, the word is either or, and therefore it means both. <laughs> okay? Um, because they're really inseparable. Uh, so apply this in, in your prayer life by specifically praying for leading in your life. God, lead me. How am I going to respond to this decision? How should I do this in a way that uh, leads me away from temptation and into freedom? How can our family respond to this issue in a way that leads us from the influence of the enemy and into the influence of, of your kingdom? Does that make sense? Okay. <clears throat> For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, that's uh, doxology sometimes called. Most scholars believe that that was not in the original text because some of the early manuscripts do not have it. Um, uh, nevertheless, it's agreed, everyone agreed, that the church recited the prayer with this benediction. It's called the benediction, not the doxology. Benediction. And that it's been part of the prayer from the earliest days. And it's, it's true. <laughs> it's fitting and proper to end the prayer as we uh, began with an expression of God's power and glory. And it's likely that Matthew wrote it knowing that people would say that on the end. Because... When Matthew wrote it, they were already saying that in the end of the prayer. Um, uh, uh, either way, it, it, I believe it's inspired word of God uh, because it's, it's in, in, in the majority of the text and it's true and it's consistent with everything. Um, so it's again... Uh, <clears throat> I think I missed a point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's proper to end the prayer as you begin the prayer with an expression of God's glory. So we, we begin with praise and exaltation, uh, hallowing His name, and we end with exaltation by, by saying, uh, you know, your kingdom come, you will be, uh, uh, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. 
For yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Alright, gotta move on. Okay, then Jesus elaborates on, on this issue of forgiveness. He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow, that's pretty heavy, don't you think? This is Jesus. He's a tough preacher. <clears throat> The importance of forgiveness is emphasized. Jesus returns to comment only on that one part. And I believe it's because um, not understanding forgiveness will actually prevent you from gaining the benefits of the rest of the prayer. Like if you don't get this part, all of it is almost null and void. Does that make sense? That's how important uh, forgiveness is. If you've not entered fully into forgiveness... Uh, granted us through faith in Christ and expressed, so it's given to us through faith, but it's expressed in our life by us forgiving others, then you cannot expect to see God's kingdom and His will uh, in your lives or our needs met or our sins forgiven or our life led in the way of freedom. All the things that we prayed, if we haven't entered into that, that forgiveness. Forgiveness is just that crucial. It's that important to a person's life. Forgiveness enables us to see God's rule and will, what we prayed for, in our life. It enables us to see our daily needs met. Right? So we don't experience poverty or constant lack. It enables us to experience personal forgiveness and freedom from sin. Forgiving others enables us to experience clear leading from the Lord. Uh, and it enables us to avoid temptation and to live in freedom unhindered by the enemy. So if you're not experiencing these things, then it's possible. Listen, Jesus is saying something here. It's possible and likely that there's some unforgiveness lingering in your heart. Right? And often, you know, a blind spot is a blind spot because you can't see it. But you can, you can experience the effect of it. And often what's hidden in our blind spot is, is a forgiveness issue. That we haven't forgiven someone, but we're suffering poverty, we're trapped in sin, and we're not getting the leading of, of the Father. All these things are happening. And, 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 and Jesus says, listen, you need to experience forgiveness by forgiving others. And that's a real priority. He knew those words were strong, but they're true. Unforgiveness is the root of most... Uh, uh, personal troubles in, 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 in people's interpersonal lives. It really is. And forgiveness is a path uh, to that freedom. So take time to forgive. You cannot overdo it. Uh, it'll change your life. Uh, and that's it. Amen. God bless. <clears throat>